Well, as I've already said, it's a delight to have Jeff Van Wanderen with us for the first time. And uh, we really have just said to Jeff, just open your heart tonight. Just tell us what's in your heart. We just want to hear what you have to say because we believe that you're here at a good time, at the right time, and we're listening. So give Jeff a big welcome. All right, am I on? Hello? I guess flips. There you go. Hi. Um, oh, I don't know. I got, I, I'm probably not going to draw tonight, actually. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I will. I don't know. I haven't decided what to talk about because I have too many things to talk about. Um, what would you like me to talk about? How many have seen the show Intervention on TV? Okay, here's a warning to you. Don't make me come back here and get you. <laughs> no, if you see me on the street and you come up and start talking to me and somebody else over here has recognizes me, they're going to think I'm taking you to rehab, so just be really careful. <laughs> oh, I grew up in a town of 600 people up in northern Wisconsin, just north of Green Bay. And then we commuted to, commuted to a town of 200 people. It's two miles away, but that's where the church was that we went to. And there were actually seven churches. Uh, in, it was uh, three Baptist churches, one Lutheran, one Catholic, one Assembly of God, and one Seventh-day Adventist church. So that's, you know, and about, about, about that many bars, too, in that town. And, but anyway, um, the church I went to is First Baptist Church, and... Um, there was a sign on the front of it. You know how churches have signs or marquees or whatever you call it, you know, billboards. It said, um, so this is just to tell you kind of where I came from. Independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, soul-winning, sep- sin-hating, separated Baptist church. Okay. <laughs> All right, then right across the street, there's another church, Pioneer Baptist Church. I don't know if you can hear the, co- the, the uh, competition in the names, you know, because... Uh, Pioneers are the ones who got there first, actually. <laughs> but they had a sign, too. It said, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, soul-winning, sin-hating, separated Baptist church. I never had a conversation with any of those people. I never walked across the street and went in that building. I went to school for 12 years with them and never talked with them because we were the kingdom of God and we were the righteous ones and we were, you know, that's how it was. Um, it was safer... In, in the view of the church I attended, it was safer to hang out with the Lutherans and Catholics because at least you knew they were wrong. You know? <laughs> but these other ones, you know, they were kind of, that was tricky because they said the same thing we did, but they didn't belong to the kingdom like we did. And I'm not even, I'm not, I mean, exaggerating. Um, my great-grandfather... Uh, came over from Germany and um, got on a horse in New York, rode to Wisconsin, and started that church. And he was the choir director for 30 years. And he was conducting the Christmas, you know, cantata, they called it. And uh, they, they, had, they had, you don't have your chairs. They had, they had five big chairs in the front up on the stage. How many of you have ever seen that? Yeah. 
Five big chairs. So one, one for the pastor and then deacon chairs, care elders. No, we didn't have elders, we had deacons. And he finished, he sat down in the middle chair and died of a heart attack right there, Christmas Eve, okay. And then his son, my great uncle, he became the choir director for the next 20 years. Um, his sister, my great aunt, also died in that church. And so for a long time, I was, was kind of feeling like a ticking time bomb every time I went in a <laughs> Baptist church. You know, I was like, uh, anyway, but um, so then he died. So we were at the funeral. I went back to the funeral. And it actually, you know, it was physically hard for me to get into the church building just because of what I experienced there and what I would now call a spiritually abusive place. Spiritual abuse, um, I have four daughters. They're all married now. But, I mean, when they were little, I remember one time my daughter Erin came running up the stairs and she said, you know, Callie took my markers, which is basically a code which means I was supposed to go fix that. You know, I'm supposed, to go, I'm supposed to go get the markers. I said, well, did you talk to her? Did you tell her you don't like that? And she said, no. I said, well, you got to go tell her. You know, don't talk to me. What if, if I do something you don't like, tell me, you know. So she goes downstairs, and I'm listening, and she says, Dad said you're supposed to give back the markers. <laughs> this is not unusual. I mean, this is, you, you've been through this. So I said, Aaron, come on back up. So she came back up. I said, well, two things. One, that was a lie, because <laughs> I did not say that, I, and, and you lied. Second thing is, I, I really, I feel angry when you use my name to get your sister to do what you want her to do. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the light went on. <laughs> because... I grew up in a church where the leaders, the people in places of authority, used God's name to get people to do what they wanted them yeah, to do. Yeah, <sighs> and that's spiritual abuse. Yeah. And it doesn't have to even just come from a pastor or an elders. It can come from parents who use that, use God to get kids to act the way they want them yeah, to, you know. And... Uh, so anyway, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. I want this, this to be a talk about spiritual abuse. What I want to talk about is I want to affirm your, ch your church. That's what I want to do because, um, all right, so I have two twin cousins that were sons of this second choir director, okay, and they were home for the funeral. And so their mother had died four or five years before, and, and you know, I used to go over there and we'd play football and they'd come over to my house and play basketball. So I mean, I grew up with them. They're a little older, but we hung out. And, uh, but they came for the funeral and basically no one had, the, the dad who was still alive did not clean out the, the stuff from the, from the mom. You know, I mean, her stuff was all still in dressers and closets. So that's what they did. But now they had to go through two people's stuff. And, um, so I get a call, and they're frantic and just, un, just blown away. And what happened was that um, when they went down the basement, they found a basement full of pornography in, in, in this guy's basement. And they were just floored. They were just, it broke their hearts. And it broke my heart, too, because 
What must it be like to struggle with a problem like that in a church like that yeah. and be up front and be the choir person, you know, and from a legacy of choir directors, you know, who started the church? What torment that he must have been through? What, how, how hard that would be? But see, the church, was, it was not a safe place. The, the only thing that was okay there was to be okay. You know, and everything else wasn't okay. So if you weren't, you pretended you were. That's how you make it through there. And, um, and then you end up self-righteous. You know, the Apostle Paul, when, in Philippians, he's talking about, you know, because we had, we had a list of things that we did and didn't do. You know, here, don't do these things. Do these things, then God's okay with you. You know, and, and yeah, you can't earn salvation and it's not about your behavior, it's a free gift, but then after that, everything was up to you. Everything was, you know, it was almost like you didn't really get salvation, you were just loaned it. <laughs> you know, and then you could lose it. They could, the loan could be called based on if you screwed up or something, you know. But, but anyway, um, that had, had to be just a, uh, yeah, yeah, dreadful uh, to, to live that way. And so, I mean, I, I was going to hell for chewing gum in church. I mean, I was, it, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, um, I was pointed out from the, from the pulpit for chewing gum, you know. I mean, I was, I was playing footsie with the girl in front of me, and they didn't say anything about that because they couldn't see that. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, but so you learn to be okay even if you're not. And... Um, and if, if you're not okay, you get um, judged and shamed and even shunned, although we didn't call it, that's a Catholic thing, but we didn't call it that, but basically, you know, separated from, and unless you were related to the leaders, then that was covered up, and, 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 and there's so much stuff covered up that we found out later. So, but anyway, um, and I tried to... Like, tell these guys what I know now, um, that it's okay to not be okay. You know, it doesn't, it's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus. You know. So he had all these lists, and um, Paul says in Philippians, you know, he says, he almost says like this. He says, you know, if you care about lists, he's telling the Philippians, you care about lists, I have a list that will make your list look pitiful. Circumcised the eighth day of the, you know, all that. He lists that whole thing. Tribe of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, the Hebrews, as to the law. Found blameless. You want to see some of you did it right? I did it right. But I count all that loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. See? So he's got the great list, but he doesn't point at the list. And, you know, it's also interesting, this first Corinthians 15, he's talking about himself, and he's talking about how he... Um, Loved the church so much. He loved God so much he killed Christians for them. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, persecuted the church. He, he loved God so much, and not only that, then he says, you know, I, I was the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because why? He uses the word 
born untimely. I was born untimely. See, and I used to think that meant, well, see, he was younger than all those other guys, and they got to actually see Jesus, and then Jesus got crucified, and then Paul came on the scene, and he's like, didn't, it was too late, you know. And the, the word there is actually um, miscarriage. Yeah, he's like, I was a spiritual miscarriage. Now the list is looking pretty bad. See, so in Philippians 3, it's pretty good. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's pretty bad. He says, but, I, but, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. Yeah. Now, see, we, we have, not only do we have lists in our life that, are, that go for periods of time, you know, so maybe you had a, period, a rough spot, and now you got a bad list, and, or you have a great streak going, and now you've got a good list, or maybe even today, just today, bad, good and bad. You know, it's not that you, you shouldn't worry about stuff and try to do better and fix things and, you know, make your relationships work and all that kind of stuff. But don't point at that. Don't point at that. Point at Jesus. Jesus, it's, it's you know, what do you think it is finished? What do you think the it is in it is finished? I mean, it's finished. That means there isn't anything left to finish. You can do better if you don't like how your life is going. You know, get help. But... All right, so, um, now, somebody over here is telling somebody about a guy, just when I, we were, he said you about the guy who gave his life to Jesus. Okay, let me say something about that. I'm going to tweak that. Okay, that guy gave his life to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to tweak that. Yeah, I, I gave my life to, I, went, I rededicated my life every year at summer camp. Every freaking year, I rededicated my life at summer camp. I went forward, <laughs> rededicated my life, you know, gave my God my life and everything else. And then, you know, a week or two later, I had it back again. I couldn't figure out what was going on. <laughs> I figured out what's going on. A Christian isn't somebody who gives their life to Jesus. A, a Christian is somebody who gets their life from Jesus. Yes. Come on. See, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the bread of life, and I have come that you might have life. Why do you suppose he said that? Because we didn't have it. And everybody who realized they didn't have it chased him. You know, they, they got it from him. And everybody who thought they had it crucified him. Basically, that's how it works. You know, I mean, somebody who robs a bank, where are they getting their life from right then? Right then, where are they getting their life from right then? Money. Okay. Somebody who, who, who uh, you know, has, is having affairs, where are they trying to get their life from then? Some, something that can't give life. You know, the thing about that is that those things promise, but they can't deliver. They, they promise but they can't deliver. The only, way, the only place you can get life from is from where life is from, which is Jesus. Okay? So you suppose that if in the, spur, in the heat of the moment you remembered that your life was from Jesus and you already had it, you would rob a bank? No, why would you? you know? It doesn't mean you don't need money and it doesn't mean you don't need help and it doesn't mean you're not tempted and stuff. But see, the fight is remembering. It's a fight of faith. And remembering where your life is from, you know. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus, how, how, how is that? You know, by, by faith. So walk. L live the same way you came. You know, and we have a, we, the problem is we live here. We have a source 
you cannot see. That happened 2,000 years ago, we hope. And we live here. And we can see this and smell this and taste this and whatever. And, you know, and we are having the opportunity to get our life here all the time. And it's not that you shouldn't worry about this kind of stuff, but don't get your life here. Keep getting your life from where you get your life. You know. So there, I tweaked that. I'm done with that. I don't have any more to say about that. All right, so here's another thing. And this is also about that. I lied. I do have more to say about that. Okay. So, you know, John the Baptist, he's the guy that went ahead of Jesus and said, okay, behold the Lamb of God that takes, you know, away the sins of the world, and he baptized him and all this stuff. Well, then he gets thrown in jail. Okay, and so in, in Matthew 11 it says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished his commanding his 12 disciples, he departed from them to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent to his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Does anybody here find that a strange question for, Jesus, for John the Baptist to be asking? He, he baptized Jesus. He saw the dove. You know, he told everybody, this is, why did he ask that question? I think the reason he lost that, asked that question is because he's thinking, okay, if Jesus is the winning side here, and I'm his best guy, why am I in jail? This doesn't make sense to me. You know, I, I, maybe, he's not the, maybe he's not the winning guy. Maybe he's not really the guy. So, he goes, he says to the disciples, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to, to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. By the way, what would be good news for a poor person who's hungry, for instance? Something to eat, probably. Okay. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. See, he didn't point at this kind of stuff. He pointed at this kind of stuff. You know, like you saw it right. It's, it's here, which you can see, and that's what that guy saw. I don't know who I'm talking to here, but somebody said something over here. Yeah. That's what that guy saw that was compelling to him about why Jesus was real. That's what you guys care about here, that kind of stuff, which is, by the way, probably why you get criticized. You know, because it's not enough about this and it's not about behavior and it's all about inside stuff. And, you know, you remember the Beatitudes? Beatitudes. I'm going to do, do the Beatitudes. I just, I just decided. <laughs> okay, so in Matthew 5. So, okay, so in Matthew 5, um, just before that, all right, Jesus has this big deal going on up in Galilee. You know, he's got this incredible ministry coming. There's crowds of people, and he's, he's healing people, and they've never seen that, and they're just flocking to him and, or whatever. And then, and then when he, it says, um, it says, then he sent everybody away. Well, I mean, in the States, we went through this big thing about church growth. There was a movement Church growth movement. It was all about how to get numbers, how to get more numbers. So we had all these gimmicks and stuff. Church growth. See, I think that church growth is about growing deeper, not wider, and don't worry about the wider. That happens or doesn't happen. Okay. So Jesus sends the multitude away. Now, the first thing that that says, because he's now going to talk to the disciples, because he's trying to get them ready, because he's going to leave in three years, and then it's theirs. Okay. So he's trying to 
teach them to, what it looks like to do what he does. Okay. By sending the multitude away, the first thing he says is, the kingdom of God is not about the big crowd. Because if it, if it was, he'd have kept them there. He'd have tried to get more. You know, He wasn't trying to get a crowd. He was trying to heal people and feed them and you know, the crowd came. But Okay, so just so you don't misunderstand, this is not what the kingdom is about. Here's what the kingdom is about. Blessed are the broken. Theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom comes to broken people. So now remember that. All right, so I'm going to break this crowd in half. So right here. I'll put you guys, you guys are a couple, right? So I'll put you on the same side. Okay, so there's a line right here. Okay, you don't want, you don't want to be over there. You want to be over here. No, you don't want to be there. No. Okay. So over here are the broken people. So the lepers and prostitutes and you're a mess. You're not, you're not only a mess, you look like a mess. You look like a bunch of broken people. And you're all... Here's the Pharisees over here. See, that's why I said you don't want to be, you don't want to be able to, okay. You wouldn't, you wouldn't dream of being broken. You're okay. And you're, you're all looking at them, judging them, and, and trying to get them to be like you. And you're all over here wishing you could be like them. So God would like you. And Jesus, no, I see you don't get it. Blessed are the broken. The kingdom comes to broken people. You guys are well. Go be well. He said that. Remember when he said that? Go be well. Well, people don't need a doctor. See ya. They didn't like him. Blessed are those who mourn. There's nine Greek words for mourn. This one means let's on the outside what's going on on the inside. Not only are you broken, you look broken. You're whining and crying and bleeding and you wouldn't dream of doing that. You might even be sad on the inside, but you would never show sad or anxious, but you would never show anxious or whatever you are. You know, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. That is too late to quote, by the way, this is a little aside, I'm, I'm just doing an aside, okay? It's too late to quote that verse to anxious people. Then you just end up with anxious people who feel guilty about being anxious. You know, if you understand what he's saying there, and, he's, and you say that, okay, then you won't be. But once you are, you understand? Once you are anxious, there are other verses to help that, <laughs> but not that one. So you're bleeding all over the place, and you look like a mess, and you look like a bunch of lepers and prostitutes and stuff. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. In the kingdom of God, or in the kingdom of God church, Mourning people get comfort. You guys get no comfort. Why? Because you're okay. Bye. <laughs> you, know, you know who got comforted where I grew up in that church? 
the, the, the rich, righteous people who whined the most about what color the carpet was and, <laughs> oh, we've got to keep them okay. We don't want them upset. I don't think Jesus was in that church. I went forward so many times. I gave a testimony when I got baptized that my grandmother told me to say. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, you guys are unrighteous. You know you're unrighteous and you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You guys are righteous. See ya. <laughs> Serious. They hated him. You know why? Because he went to the heart stuff all the time, always going to the heart stuff. You know? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And you're all going, well, that's us. We wouldn't. You guys look like a bunch of adulterers. In fact, we, we know about you. You guys wouldn't dream of committing adultery. You're patting on yourself, yourself on the back for how unadulterous you are. But I say, if you lust after someone, you broke that rule. Uh-oh. See, you're in the same boat as them. It's just that they know what boat they're in. There's more rejoicing in heaven over, 90, or over the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Who are they? Nobody. There is no 99 righteous people that need no repentance. There's only one who needs repentance and knows he does, and 99 who need it and don't think they do. That's, that's it. I was in New York. I was, I was um, on a holiday with my wife, and we went up by Park Avenue and Madison Avenue, you know, and that's where, like, uh, like uh, what's that really expensive watch? Rolex. Yeah, that's where all that stuff is. And um, there's a guy sitting underneath the Rolex watch window with a sign and a little cup, you know. And it said, I can't work, you know, I lost my legs. In the I don't know what he said. And there were people panhandling and all this kind of stuff. And... Um, the contrast was, you know, with everything else in that guy. There's a verse in Romans 11. I'm, I'm just meandering here, but, you know, I get to because I'm the speaker. <laughs> um, in Romans 11, I don't have to read it. I read it. I can say it. It says, God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. God has shut up all in disobedience. You know, that means that... Means that um, God created a system where everybody fails. Now see, in, in New York, somebody on that street has the edge, has an edge. You know, that's the people who own the Rolex store or, you know, are up in the high rises manipulating world's money and I, I don't know, whatever. In every system in the world, there's an edge. If I was to think up a system where somebody would have an edge, I would say bald guys have an edge. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to think up a system I don't, I'm not the top of. Do you understand? You know, and when I was in, in school, it was like baseball 
players that can really play have an edge or, or whatever. You know, and, and I don't know if you do this here. You got baseball, but that's not really your big deal. But in baseball, when you're a kid, the way you pick teams is you throw the bat up. And then you catch, the other guy catches it, and then you put your hand on top of that, and he puts your hand like up until the top. And then whoever covers the top gets the first pick. So I want you, okay? And then, you know, you're the other captain. You want him and like this, and you go down the list. And then usually there's like some guy at the end nobody wants, you know. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, you get her. And you go, well, no, I had her last time. Why don't you take her this time? You know, I'm serious. But you can tell real easy who's got the edge on that. It's the one who has their hand on the top of the thing. And I know that if you're that person and nobody wants you, what that feels like. You know? And I know that there are people here in their life who were treated that way by their parents. Unchosen. You know? It says that God chose us first. You know what a compliment that is? God chose us first. Not like he, he chose you because you're the only one left to choose. He chose us first. You know, people know, feel like what it feels like to be chosen last, but, you know, you got to let in what it feels like to be chosen first. You know that, that uh, well, okay, that's a, different, that's a different talk. Okay, so... God has, God has um, committed them to disobedience that he might show mercy to all. He created a system where nobody has an edge. Everybody fails, so everybody can get in on the same basis, which is what he has done. And not only is that a cool system, and the only guy in the whole universe that could have thought up that system, but Paul, who's writing this, really gets a rush from that. He's like, wow. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord and became his counselor? Who, I mean, who else but God could have thought that up? That's not how we think. Who was first given to him that it should be repaid back to him? Who's that? Nobody? Anybody? Does anybody first give to God? What about all this... <laughs> what about this crap that the televangelists are telling you? Come on. About if, you know, if you give... God will... You know, you got to give this, and then he's going to give you back a thousand bucks, or he's going to give you back whatever like that. You know what? There, I can show you in Scripture where it says if you give, God will give you back. I can also show you where it says if you give to get back, you get nothing. If that's why you're giving, you get nothing. If you're giving to be seen giving, you have your eternal reward. It says that in Matthew. You know what that is? You got seen. That's it. You got what's coming to you. If you pray out loud so that somebody can see you praying, you have a reward. You know what that is? You got seen. It profits you nothing. So go in your closet and pray. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Paul's going, okay, so God created a system where Nobody has an edge where everybody needs the solution, and so he could give them the solution. It's like God's favorite thing. He loves being merciful and giving grace so much, he created a system where everybody needed it, and then he created a way for anybody to get it because it's the gift. 
I'm on three different sermons here, guys. Okay, where was I? <laughs> I did the Beatitudes, I did that. Um, all right. Revelations 3, I really am all over the place. Revelations was not a passage, it was not, it was not a book that we ever wanted to hear about in that church. We never wanted to, because that was a really scary deal. Um, okay, this is Revelation 3.14. To the angel in the church in Laodicea write this. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Okay, now see, that was the verse that was used on us so that we would get hot. You understand? And that means like witnessing and visiting people in the nursing home and I don't know. I mean, do stuff. Get, get hot for the Lord. And, all right. Or else, what? God's going to vomit you out of his mouth. That's what this version says, vomit. <coughs> Well, then one day I was looking at this, and I thought, okay, so that verse says it's just as preferable to be cold or hot. Right. Come on. Well, I never heard anybody say, be cold for God. I mean, serious. Who's ever heard that? Go be cold for the Lord tonight after you leave here. You know, or I've always, be hot, and then they always told us what hot meant. Go be cold. Cold and hot are both Okay. What's not okay is not being cold or hot. Okay. So I did a little study on Laodicea. That's the church he's writing to, Laodicea. Laodicea was a place where um, they had viaducts coming from the mountains um, and the, to bring cold water. So if you were you know, tired and hot or whatever, you could go to the cold water pools and viaducts and get refreshed. The cold water was refreshing. They also had hot springs, and they believed that the hot springs had healing property. So if you, could, if you were sick or injured or something, and you could get yourself in one of those hot springs, you get healed. So basically, Laodicea, you are not a cold place where tired, hot, weary people can get refreshed, and you're not a hot place where people who need healing can go buy... See, I, I think that this place here yeah. is, yeah, yes. is a hotter cold and cold place. But, yeah. but you see, I also think you're, you get criticized because you're, people don't get the cold part. Yeah. You know, and cold is just as good as hot. Either one's okay. Just not, either, just not neither one of those, you know. All right, so I did that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, all right, I'm going to do Lazarus. I like Lazarus. All right, so Lazarus dies, you know, and Jesus comes too late. And, um, and when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher is coming and is calling for you. This is John 11. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to Jesus, and Jesus had not yet come into the town, but he was in a place where Martha met him. 
The Jews who were within her in her house and comforting her when he saw Mary rose up quickly and followed her, saying, she must be going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And when he saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. All right, I could do a whole talk on Jesus wept. Which, but the short talk is, it's okay to cry at cryable events. But not where I grew up. Because that was lack of faith and that was whatever it is, you know. Funerals were... BS. <laughs> they were. They were fake. You know, trying to cheer people up whose time it is to be sad. All right. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have also kept this man from dying? What do you think? You answer that. Could not Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept Lazarus from dying in the first place? What do you think? Who thinks he could have? Well, yeah. We didn't, though. Okay. <laughs> then Jesus, again groaning the spirit, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus says, hey, come take away the stone. All right, here's another question. Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who is blind have moved the stone himself? Who thinks he could have? Yeah. I mean, he could have done. Remember Uncle, Uncle Martin? You know, he, he could have levitated it or whatever. His antennas come out and all this, you know, or whatever. He's Jesus. He could do that, but he didn't. He had these guys do it. All right. Martha, the sister of him who is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. All right, now the reason that's there is because they kind of believed, they had this belief that the spirit kind of hovered around for three days and on the fourth day it was gone. So that's the way that the writer is saying to you, this is not a fake dead guy. Okay, this is a really for sure official dead guy. Okay. And Jesus said to her, didn't I say to you that if you would believe you'd see the glory of God? So then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his voice and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who came forth, he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Now, how do you picture that? Okay, when, when somebody died, they wrapped them from top to bottom like a mummy. So how did he come out? Well, he didn't walk out like, oh, oh thank you. He, he either crawled out like an inchworm, you know, I mean, what else? Or he hopped out. I got him hopping out because I'm, I'm, I'm giving the talk, so I can have him come out however I want, okay? So he's like this. And Jesus said, all right, come back. You saw the guys that were, did the stone, you come back. Loose him and let him go. Now, here's my question. Could not he who opened the eyes, 
of him who is blind unloosed him and let him go himself. Well, yeah. I mean, he could have snapped his fingers and which had really been too much information because he was naked under there and he'd be standing there naked in front of everybody, which would have been spiritually unclean. He would have been, he would have been, he had been humiliated, but spiritually, he, I mean, do you know how many ritual kinds of junk he would have had to go through to even be allowed back in the temple? I mean, for, for doing that? You don't do that. So he said, you do this. Now, I don't know, I can't, I don't know, it doesn't say how that all happened, but when he said, unloose them and let them go, I picture that they probably brought him some clothes. And they probably stood around him to take it off and then gave him new clothes. Because if he just was standing there naked with everything dropped off of him, that would not be okay. Understand that? Yeah. Well, see, I think what that's what the body of Christ is for. Yes. I think that there are people in the body of Christ who are alive, but they're living with dead guy's clothes on. And that's the wounds that they've gotten from growing up or from being addicted at one point or from getting abused or, you know, they've got grave clothes that are keeping them from living as alive as they are. And it's our job to come around them and help them get rid of those clothes and give them new clothes so they can live as alive as they are. And I have a sense that that's another thing that you guys do here. You know, it's not about, it's not about getting prettier looking grave clothes. So I learned how to do it right in my church, and I was like the best good guy you could be. And I'd have died, if I'd have died when I was 18, I would have died thinking I was going to heaven, but I don't think I was because I didn't get my life from Jesus. So I went off to college. Now, you see, if you grow up in that kind of environment where everything is on the outside, it's like, a, it's like a barriers mentality. In other words, we're gonna keep you safe by building walls around you, not by building strength inside of you. So, so you, all you do is learn to live within the walls. You don't, you know, those kinds of places don't make people good choice makers. No. They don't equip them with skills to live anywhere. You know, we have, in where I live, we have a 21-year-old drinking age, which is, I think that's good. I mean, the field I'm in with addiction and all that, I wish it was 18, but it's 21, whatever. But that's not the point. The point is, some of the thinking behind that is like, we think that if we have a 21-year-old drinking age, that's going to keep the 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds safe from the evils of alcohol. Like it doesn't occur to us that a healthy 18-year-old could go into a really unhealthy place and still make wise choices. So the focus, I think, needs to be on the inside, not the outside. There is no safe place. And the place where I grew up, which was 
presenting itself as the safest place was the least safe place because, as Paul said, I was so good at the law, it almost killed me. Almost killed me. Close, close shave there. Because he was convinced he was okay. All right, where was I? All right, so now I'm talking about me now. All right, so I went off the deep end. And now I'm going to be the best bad guy I can be. And, um, and I was. And it took me only four years to bottom out of that. Because for the first 18 years... It's easy not to realize that it's a problem because you're getting strokes. Yeah. Last four years, I was getting arrested, you know, and, and I had, you know, people that wanted me dead, and I was in trouble, and I was being looked for, and all that kind of stuff. And then I had an experience where one of my roommates, after a big blow up and all this, you know, so I, I, I knew all the theology, I and mean, I could quote verses. I, I, was, I was in Jet Cadets. I mean, I memorized all kinds of stuff and could find the Bible verses. Won awards, you know, best camper award, you know, which yeah, I got extra points if you rededicated your life. So I threw that, I, that, put, that put me over the top, you know. <coughs> My roommate, who was not a believer, in the dark, Nixon-McGovern elections, that doesn't mean a lot to anybody, but in 1972, where I'm laying in my bed now after this big fight with my other roommates, and he goes, see? Like, see? And I'm like, see what? You gotta stop ripping people off. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. I mean, and there were a lot of experiences like that, getting arrested and stuff like that. I mean, I, I fell asleep behind the wheel, wheel and rear-ended an off-duty highway patrol. That helped. <laughs> made, made me realize some things, you know. Um, but then I got around some believers who I remember spent my first 18 years around believers, but then I got around some believers who just loved Jesus and it didn't matter what your hair was like or if you had rivets on your jeans or you know I had a ponytail it was so awful if you can picture it I, I, it was so awful I gotta tell you a funny story about it though I also got another ponytail later in life as part of my midlife crisis and I had a diamond earring too by the way um, you know but still cheaper than a Camaro okay um, but I had this ponytail, and I, I, got, I wrote this book on spiritual abuse, and I was asked to go speak to a group of people in um, London, Ontario, right outside of Toronto. And it was a group of spiritually abused people made up of three groups. One was Baptists, one was Lutherans, and one was Catholics, who would normally have nothing to do with each other, basically, but they all got really abused in their churches by the leaders there, and they kind of found each other, and now they're having this group meeting every week, you know. And it was about this many people, you know, and they get together. It was kind of like the survivors of the Titanic. I mean, they were like... So I went there, 
and I had this ponytail, and I'm driving. I rented a, um, I rented a black um, Mustang 5.0, okay? And I'm going down the road with my ponytail. You know, it's just about that long, and stuff broke off of it every time I took the band out. I mean, it was just terrible. Can you, can you imagine? All right, so anyway, um, so, I, so I'm driving there, and I'm thinking, okay, so these guys got beat up by legalists. But that doesn't mean they're not legalists. You know, they just maybe aren't as mean of legalists as the other legalists that beat them up. And they might, like, not hear what I have to say because of a ponytail. Because where I came from, they wouldn't have heard what you had to say if you had a ponytail, you know, or a mustache even. I mean, like, the list goes on. So I thought, well, that's not worth not being heard. So when I got to my exit, I pulled the car over and I took the band out and I just like, which as if that was more attractive, which it really wasn't, but it wasn't a ponytail. It was more like a mud flap, a thin, really thin mud flap, okay? I'm serious, it was, it was terrible. Uh, all right, so I get there and I meet the guy who hired me, you know, who had me come, you know, and, and he said, now, now, Brother Jim over there, he's going to introduce you when this starts. And so he said, okay. So he, Jim gets up and he says, now, it's my job to introduce the speaker. But before I do, I want to tell you about a dream I had last night. So last night, I had a dream, and in my dream, it was my job to introduce the speaker, just like right now. But I didn't know who the speaker was, and I didn't know what he looked like. And I'm looking around trying to see if I can figure out who the speaker was. And over there in the corner of the room is Jesus. And so I go up to Jesus, and I say, Jesus, I'm supposed to introduce the speaker, but I don't know what he looks like. And Jesus said, he's the one with the ponytail. <laughs> and they're all laughing like you did. And then I got up, and I said, well, guess what? The speaker is the one with the ponytail, and then I told them the story about taking it out, and then they were just freaked out because they don't believe in that stuff. You know, Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics, they don't think that, you know, Jesus shows up and tells people things. So they were like, woo. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> crazy. That's my ponytail story. But anyway, so I'm at this Christian college now, and I mean, everything didn't turn rosy for me. It was a struggle because I, have, um, I had echoes, you know, like that challenged my freedom. It was, it was too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Um, and that whole thing about um, God has shut up all in disobedience that he might, might show mercy to all. That, I'll, I'll tell you what, to me, that is the most compelling thing to me about me wanting to be a believer, accepting the whole thing. That. That is, that blows me away more than Jesus getting crucified. I'm telling you. Not to say that's not a big deal. I'm just saying, somebody who could think up a system in this world where nobody has an edge so he can give a free gift to anybody, I'm, I'm following him because you can't find that anywhere else. As soon as you leave here, you know, it's gonna tell you, you'll see a billboard, it'll tell you to buy products so you have an edge. So you turn on your TV, it'll tell you act a certain way so you have an edge. It's all about that. But we have a, we have a savior, we have a God who 
figure out a way for that not to count so that he can do the favoritest thing he likes to do the most, which is to give grace and mercy. And all you got to do is take it, receive it. You know? And I was told that the reason why, growing up again, why people didn't give their life to Jesus, which was equal to getting saved, the reason they didn't do that was because they liked their sin and they weren't willing to give it up. But that's not why. I think the reason why people are resistant is because it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Who could, who could believe that? Who could believe such a thing that it's absolutely free and you can't or don't have to do anything to get it? I mean, that's, that's foolishness, it says in Romans. It's God's foolishness. But anyway, that's, that's a little bit about me. I can keep going, but I'm, I'm kind of done. Yeah. I think I am. Yeah, any questions or anything you want me to talk about? More about yourself. More about myself. Yeah. Uh, I have four married daughters. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, they were all teenagers at the same time, so I'm, I'm saying that to offer hope to some of you. <laughs> um, that was amazing being a parent of those daughters. One of them is now a Presbyterian minister. Another one is a lawyer. Um, she got married, had four kids, then got her BA, then went to law school, then passed the bar. And now she's a lawyer. Who prosecutes on behalf of victims of abuse. Um, 12 grandkids. I got three ginger grandkids. <laughs> and they are every bit, every stereotype you ever heard about any ginger person, they are it. <laughs> it's true. Um, uh, my wife is coming on Friday, so she'll be hanging out here. I um, mean, she can talk to you, but she is uh, the most wonderful, kind, thoughtful person I've ever known. It's my second wife. My first one was nutty and her fruitcake. <laughs> and I stayed married because of the kids, and I spent 20 years managing her mood. And then I ran out of gas, and then I said, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. And she thought that the aliens had replaced her husband with somebody else because that's how good I was at doing that. And then all of a sudden, you know, even like pretending to agree with stuff I didn't agree with, which is called what? Dishonesty. I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. She's like, wow. And uh, it took five years to blow apart, but I was um, single for 10 years. I actually met, met my current wife on um, Match.com. I'm, I'm kind of almost embarrassed to even say that, but you know, because I used to make fun of those people, and now I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, but um, I, I, I just put a profile up there <coughs> to, to shut up this guy that was bugging me. You should be dating. You should be. It's not good for man to be alone. You know, but <laughs> fine. So I put this thing on there, and then I ignored it, and then I got an email from her. We should meet. Kind of that. You know, that's it. 
I mean, I was smitten. If there's love at first sight, <coughs> that was me. And, uh, and she's pretty incredible. You get to meet her. I think Saturday night she'll be here. Friday? Yeah, Saturday. She'll be here too. She's a lawyer. I could have used her 35 years ago. <laughs> I was not a mean drunk. I was a mischievous one. Once I got under the influence, I was like, okay, what can we do? Let's go, <laughs> let's go do something, you know. And uh, I, I didn't, I was not violent. Um, but... I was out of control, you know. And the thing about that is that, and the people I work with, you know, with doing interventions and stuff, these are not bad people. People don't call me to help bad people. They say, he's a bad guy. Bye, we, we, we're done, you know. These are people, <coughs> and, I, and I say this a lot. Like, let's say that you're the addict, okay? And I'll say to you, well, how long has this been going on? And you say, oh, five years. Okay. And I say to this person, so if I had a conversation with you six years ago and predicted the next six years, you wouldn't believe it. Right. Do you understand that? Yes. They themselves wouldn't believe it. Here's the dreams you're going to give up. Here's the people you're going to hurt. Here's what you're going to do to your body. Here's the, here's the and just list all, all your shenanigans. You wouldn't believe it. You know, she's been looking at this for five years going, I can't believe it, but you wouldn't believe it, which means that you're acting inconsistent with your value system. But the difference is if you act inconsistent with your value system, you feel bad and fix it. And if you act inconsistent with your value system, you feel bad and medicate it. And so the hole keeps getting deeper for you. See, that's the issue. And I didn't have, uh, you know, even now, I don't have a problem not drinking. I don't have a problem. You know, we, he had a glass of wine. I'm not like looking at his wine and go, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, if I have the first one, it's the second one I have a problem with. Yeah. You know, then I'm robbing the church, not speaking in it. <laughs> you know, or like, I don't know. It would be more mischievous than that. I'd be doing, you know. So, um, so I've been sober for a long time and I have a life that I wouldn't have if I hadn't gotten sober. And um, I can't figure out how I deserve any of it. I don't. Um, grace is the hardest thing for me to come to grips with still. Because it just doesn't make sense. You know. But thank God that I didn't get what I deserve. Because um, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, and most of you, not most of you, but there's a lot of people here that the only reason you're not in prison is you didn't get caught. It's not because you didn't do it, you know. But here we are by God's grace, and it's pretty cool. Got any questions? Yes. In, are you asking me if that's what I do in the States? I do when I'm asked, but what I really do is... Um, well, I've been in the field of addiction and all that for since 1978. So, I mean, that's a pretty long time. 
And I worked in a treatment center as a counselor, and now I do interventions. And an intervention is like, you call me and say, we want to do an intervention on him. Okay. So then I come and I do a training thing with you and everybody who cares about him and has seen the changes and everything else. And when we're finished with that, we know what we're going to say, what we're not going to say. You know, who's going to say it? What order are we going to say it? And where are we going to sit? Who's going to chase him if he runs out the room? What are they going to say when they catch him? Every single detail. So the only thing that's missing after the first day is for him to agree to get help on the second day. And if he does, which they do 98% of the time, we're on the way to the place you and I have lined up ahead of time. What happens is when people try to do this themselves, you know, I'll get a call from somewhere. And they'll say, we're going to do an intervention on Dad on Thursday night. Do you have any advice? Well, that, I'm going to say that at some point. Don't do it, you know, unless you use a professional. You don't have to use me, but don't do it. But the first thing I say is, but what if he says yes? And they go, what? Well, what, what if he says okay? And they go, what? And I go, okay, when you're done with your intervention, what would you like him to say? We'd like him to say yes. Okay, so what if he does? And this happens all the time. Because yes is the dream answer. Yes is what we're going for, you know. And sometimes, rarely, by the way, the person says yes, and then they start making all the arrangements and all the phone calls and everything else that we've already made ahead of time. <coughs> and by the time they do that, he got drunk and forgot he said yes or came up with some <laughs> stupid, you know, Nothing changes for decades sometimes, you know. Um, that happens all the time. I've never had anybody call me up after the fact and say they wish they hadn't done an intervention, but I've had a lot of people call and say they wish they had because now they can't anymore, you know. Because you know what, with addiction, and I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm, I mean, shopaholics, um, gambling, any, anything where pe somebody... Loses control. <coughs> There's always an intervention coming anyway. There's always an intervention coming. So I figure, let's just do ours first. So that other one doesn't happen. Because when that happens, then the judge has the final say, or death has the final say, and we don't have anything to say. So while we still have something to say, and why they still care about what we have to say, let's get organized and do this. And you know, we, we, did, we did 220 interventions for the intervention show. Six people didn't go. Wow. And 175 are still sober. Lovely. Yeah. I mean, it's very effective. Um, and I get, to see, I get to see people get fresh to start over all the time. Lovely. Because, you know, even if they're not believers and don't know what I'm going to tell you, God is the God of second chances. Lovely. In fact, it's something he likes, one of his favorite things. Yeah. You know? So, well, you know, I, where I grew up, God was, um, if he could do what he'd rather do, he, he would bat you down. Yeah. That's what I, you know. But see, that's, that's what motivated the Pharisees. What motivated the Pharisees was their view of God was that if he, he had a big stick and if he could do what he'd really rather do, he'd hit you with the stick. So they, 
live the way they live, trying to take the stick out of God's hand. In fact, there was, there was a, um, a group of a sect of Pharisees called the bruised and battered Pharisees. Because you know that verse I told you about, you know, don't commit adultery, but if you lust after a woman, you, you, you're in trouble, okay? Well, these guys would walk around with a big hood over their head like this, and they'd walk like this because they couldn't see anything, but they kept running into telephone poles, you know, serious, or whatever. And they, so they had big bruises, and, you know, they were all bashed up from because they weren't looking where they, were, where they were going. They were called the bruised and battered Pharisees, thinking that if they could just avoid all that, then God would like them. And the sad part was he already liked them, you know, so... I'm not willing to fight with other believers or whatever about lots of things. You know, some people want to fight about baptism or infant baptism or some people want to fight about, you know, if, if, if God created the world in seven actual days or seven epochs, you know, eras or whatever. I mean, I have an opinion but uh, I'm willing to fight over if you think it's Jesus plus anything else. I'll fight over that because it just, it, you know. And, and when I grew up, you know, the, the, the letter to the Galatians is Paul hollering at the Galatians because it was Jesus plus circumcision, circumcision, you know. And everybody's saying, we're heirs of Abraham. We're sons of Abraham, you know. And um, because... We believe like Abraham believed. And then the, that's you guys, okay? And then you guys are saying, well, yeah, no, we're sons of Abraham because we got circumcised like Abraham was told to do, and we did that too. And Paul says, no, see, you don't get it. Abraham had two sons, and only one was the heir. So go get circumcised or whatever you're going to do. It doesn't matter. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. I never heard that in my whole life. I heard Jesus plus church attendance, and Jesus, you know, we used to get perfect attendance pins. Like, like you get medallions at AA meetings and stuff, you know, it's perfect attendance pins. And then some of them had, this was not ours, our, some have a little stick, you know, sticker in the middle and it changes one year, two years, one, you know, whatever. These had little bars that hung underneath, you know, one year, two years, three years. I have to tell you, and I got them, and they, they happened on Rally Sunday, which is the first Sunday in September. And then we'd have a potluck, you know, church potluck. How, how many how many's ever been to one of those? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what do you call it? Bring and share. Bring and share, okay. Yeah, that. And, of course, I would go, I would get, when I get there, I'd head right for my mom's food because it was a minefield. It was like tater tot casserole. I mean, it was like... So I knew what I was getting if I ate her food. So I'd be like, get, get my mom's food. Lime jello with, with carrots on the bottom and Miracle Whip on top. I mean, come on. Anyway, um, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying before? I oh, yeah. As soon as I got my perfect attendance pin, I'd go look at Linda Burkuski to see if she had more of them than I did. What does that have to do about Jesus? Nothing. So Jesus plus attendance, Jesus plus memorizing verses, Jesus plus going to the nursing home, Jesus plus witnessing, Jesus plus having tongues, Jesus plus not having tongues. We, we had to not have tongues where I was, you know. 
And Paul says, Jesus plus anything is not Jesus anymore. You know, I'm amazed that you so quickly deserted him who, who by his grace saved you for another gospel, which really isn't another. Right. And the word desert there isn't desert. It's not desert. It's defect. Yeah. And desert is if you're, we're all in the army and then one day we get up and stand in line and you're not there anymore and you go, well, where did he go? And he said he deserted. It means he took off into the woods, he's gone. That's not the word, it's defect. He not only left our side, he went over to the other side. It's, I'll, I'll fight over that because people who are saying Jesus plus anything are working for the enemy. They're not the enemy, but they are working for the enemy. It's Jesus, period. That's it. I'm, I'm just rambling now, but... <laughs> Any other questions? Get her done. I'm done. Thank you. I told you you like him. These are not the ramblings of a madman. These are the ramblings of a sane man. Mad. A yeah. sane man who's mad. Yeah, a sane man who's mad. <laughs> ramblings of a sane man who's mad. Um, in the echo of that, it's so interesting because I, I see so many parallels, different things in my past. and um, Growing up around a situation that was partly genuine, but also partly really false, partly external. My, my greatest revelation of reality in the church came when we walked through a breaking of the rules, a letting down of the expectations, um, a disappointing of the thoughts. And I found that, that what I had trusted in mostly wasn't that. And um, found rather than that being a place of acceptance at the point of greatest need, it became rejection at the point of greatest need. So the more failure was seen, the greater the rejection. The more need was made manifest, the greater the condemnation. And uh, I have given what is left of my life, which I'm hoping is many, many years, to oppose that spirit, fight that spirit. But more than that, not fight the spirit by being against something, but by being for something. So I'm not against that. I've, I've been in that. I've thought those ways. Um, I've had all the Bible verses that went with that process. Um, but I'm for something. I'm for a wonderful thing called grace. I'm for a wonderful thing called the mercy of God. I'm for a wonderful thing called God not exposing people but covering people. God not judging people but forgiving people. Um, making, making those who thought they would never be in righteous. And uh, we, we, we saw a thing Chris, Chris told me about the other day and, and I actually encountered in a di different way of someone trying to explain the gospel in five verses and someone else trying to explain the gospel in one verse. And uh, all it really was was one way and five ways of really summarizing all the stuff that we've come to the conclusion of actually become the barrier in the gospel. I, I, 
I can explain the gospel in one or two verses to you. And I'm not being facetious. It's just true. If you want a one verse, the shortest explanation of the gospel, it's in John 19. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to bow his head and he said, it is finished. There's the gospel right there for you. So you see, the other thing says, it's finished when you've done all this. But the real gospel says it's finished before you do any of that. And if you never do any of that, it's all finished. Loved, accepted, forgiven, done. That's why that's, that's our theme song here. Loved, accepted, forgiven, done. It is finished. If you want the other verse that goes with that, it's in Romans 1 verse 17. For it says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Right? Which is by faith from first to last. It's a revealed righteousness and so see I thought righteousness was doing right things but Bible righteousness has not got anything at all to doing right things Bible righteousness is a revelation it's something that you realize right in the beginning remember they realized that they were naked so they hid in the gospel you realize that you are not naked before God in the sense that yes he sees you as you are but he doesn't see you in shame he doesn't see you in guilt he sees you as the one he loves the one he cares about that righteousness is a revelation it's something you realize that God says you're righteous end of story it is finished it's really the same thing and so I'm proud to be living in that it's much harder than the other thing it's much harder because in the other thing, uh, you have all these tick boxes. And we all love a tick box. Even, even when we've had an understanding of God's love towards us, we love a tick box that says, well, am I getting it right? And a lot of people are afraid of the truth of grace because they're thinking, but what if God does want tick boxes? And if I've ticked, yes, I want grace, but actually it's grace and, well, I'll be condemned. So we get all scared, not realizing that what God did in Jesus was he wiped the slate clean, he changed the rules, he opened, he opened the kingdom of heaven to people like you and me to realize in the reality of our lives that we don't have to play games, we can be who we are, that God's okay with us, that he loves us, and not so much that we invite him into our life, but that he, by his grace, invites us into his life. And so I've changed my view on whether, you know, I, I was raised that you invite Jesus into your life. Then I realized what he did was invite me into his life, which is a very, very different thing. So I hope you've enjoyed tonight. I hope it's... St What's that? Cut one more story. One more story. All right. Well, we went down walking today, you know, and um, there, uh, there's like a lot of antique stores. You know, except like, like they're different than the ones in the States because they're like really antiques. <laughs> you know, you know um, stuff in the States would be like old if it was from the old West, you know, 1850s or whatever. Well, anyway, and I buy Christmas presents for my family all year because I want to buy something that fits people, you know, like, so I'm always looking for things. So I go in an antique store, and here's a thing, like, like this. And it's sitting on the counter, and I'm, I'm looking at that, and I go and pick it up. I go, what is this? 
No, because I can't. A lot of stuff, I don't, I mean, I don't even know what it is. It's so old and it's used for something I, that we don't do anymore or whatever. What the heck is this thing? What is this? 75 bucks. You know, 75 bucks for this, I don't even know what it is. I put it down. Then, then uh, and Anthony comes in and he sees it over there and he goes, wow, I've been looking for this. I can't believe I finally found, oh man, it's only 75 bucks. <laughs> what, what is it worth? What's it worth? Yeah, it's worth 75 bucks. If he, it, you can tell what something's worth by what somebody's willing to pay for it. You understand that? Well, you can tell what you're worth by what God is willing to pay for you. And you just need to let that in. That's my story. All right. Thank you, Jeff. That's it. So just need to be willing to let that in. All right. I bless you. Appreciate you being here. I bless you in Jesus' name. And pray your heart and your spirit will process all that you've heard tonight. And that out of that processing, it will become life to you. Jeff, Jeff has maple trees on his land and his brother's land next door. And um, he was telling us that it, it comes out mostly as water. What's the breakdown? 97% water. So maple syrup comes out of the maple trees, 97% water. And just tastes like water. But in there is the sweetness of, of the syrup. But you have to boil away the water but as that's processed in the right way, what it leaves you with is this valuable thing, right? Which can cost you a lot more for, if we think petrol's expensive, but it can cost you a lot more for maple syrup than it is for petrol. Why? Because it's a precious commodity that's processed. And part of what happens in our life, if we're willing to let it happen in our heart and spirit and mind, is the processing of information and stuff we've heard. So that within that, what settles in your life is the thing that's sweet and good and will change and revolutionize you. I guarantee you tonight that in all of this, the stuff that if you let it process, and God will help you to do that. If you let it process, you'll get the syrup out of it. You'll get the sweetness. You'll get what the Bible calls life. And that life will radically change you. So we're always here to serve you. If you've got any questions, if we can help you in any way, let us know. Otherwise, thank you for being here tonight. We bless you. Hope to see all of you and more on Saturday um, when Jeff and Sue will be taking part as well. Those of you who booked into the other sessions, we appreciate that. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing you then. But thanks for tonight. And God bless you absolutely in every part of your being, body, soul, mind, and spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're done. <laughs>